Our first scripture reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 1 to 9, and is found on the Old Testament section at page 712. And our second scripture reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 13, verse 1 on page 81 of the Pew Bible. Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not certify? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast show love for David. See, I made him a witness to the prophets, to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you should call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way, and it unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens and higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our second reading is Luke chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. At that very time, that, at that very time, there was some person who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffer in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I'll tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. 
But those eight things who were killed when the, when the tower of Siloam fed on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I'll tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this par parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he became and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put money on it. If he bears fruit, if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Thank you for the invitation to come back. It's good to be here. Thank you for the welcome uh, this morning. Good to see you. What a useless tree that is in Jesus' parable. Three years and no fruit. Take the axe, cut it down. Or shall we try to save it? For the tree, a question of life or death. And a, a question posed after some teaching about sin that we're thrown into in Luke chapter 13. And we really do feel as if we are thrown into it. Because the, the opening of the chapter is about events that we know nothing else about and no explanation is given. Some people are telling Jesus about some Galileans who had apparently gone to make sacrifices, presumably in the temple in Jerusalem. And Pilate had mingled their blood with that of the sacrifices. Pilate's forces injured or killed the Galileans. Such things happened in occupied Jerusalem. But why that group? What had they done? And then reference is made to another incident we don't know anything else about. A tower in Siloam fell, killing 18 people. The question is implicitly raised, why them? Why were they killed in this way? Now, one answer which might have been given at the time, including in the religion of the time, was that it had to do with sin. 
It was thought sin led to suffering. Bad sin to bad suffering. To being cut down, burned in the fire. These Galileans and those killed by the tower must have done something terrible to suffer in this way. Jesus asked his hearers, do you think that? Do you think these people suffered in the way they did because they were worse sinners than others? Did it happen because they were particularly sinful? And he answers his own question, no, no, I tell you. That's not why it happened. These painful things didn't happen because the victims were worse sinners than others. But, Jesus says, they were sinners, and so are you. That's the point Jesus gets to. These Galileans and those the tower fell on were not worse than anyone else, but they were sinners, and so are you. You need to repent, Jesus says, or you will all perish as they did. You all need to repent, all of you, because all are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have failed to bear the fruit the master desires. That is the unhappy point Jesus brings us to. We are all sinners. Cut down this tree. Or shall we try to save it? So this passage leads us into thinking about sin. Actually, there's more urgency than simply thinking about. There's an edge to Jesus' teaching. I tell you, repent, or you will perish as they did. Repent, or you will be uprooted, cut down. You are sinners. Repent. A similar message about sin and repentance runs through the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, however, it's not so much the sin of individuals which is the concern. Each one of you, us, has sinned individually, though that's there. In Isaiah, it's the sin of the nation, which is a big theme. The nation has become sinful. The ways of the nation, its laws, cultures, and customs are out of line with the ways of God. The nation is not bearing the fruit God wishes. It has become a sinful nation. 
The sweep of history is alluded to in Isaiah. God led a group of people from slavery to a land of their own, which God gave them. As God led them, God gave them laws for the governance of their common life in a nation which Isaiah speaks of as like a vineyard. Those laws were to do with the necessities of life, the basic ordinary necessities, economics, trade, business, agriculture, the treatment of foreigners, care for those in need. Like all laws, they were for the creating of rules and systems for living together as a people. Like all laws, they contained values and visions by which people should live. Values and visions the lawgiver God called good. They were for the shaping of the life of the nation around God. Isaiah 1.17 sums up what God wanted. What I want, says God, is that you learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. So God gave this people freedom, a safe passage through the wilderness, gave them a land and a law, gave them all this. But, says God in the opening part of Isaiah, as a nation you have not kept my laws. You have sinned. As a nation you have not lived by the vision I gave you. You have not done the good I called for, not lived by the laws of justice, not rescued the oppressed, not defended the orphan, not shared with those in need. You are a sinful nation, cries God in Isaiah 1.4. And your religion's gone wrong too says God in Isaiah 1.12 following. You think I want solemn assemblies, offerings and incense. You're wrong. The worship I want is that you do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed. But you are failing in that sinful nation. What a useless vineyard. Cut it down. Or shall we try to save it? Cutting down seemed to be the way of it at one stage. For the land God had given these people was taken from them. The walls of its cities were trampled and broken. Jerusalem was occupied. The temple destroyed, its towers fell. A large number of people were deported into exile. And some did take this as being punishment for sin, punishment for the way the nation had sinned, for its failure to bear the good fruit God calls for. We must have sinned for us to lose this land, 
some thought. So we're into a biblical world where sin prevails, where individuals and nations get it wrong before God and suffer. Cut down not just that tree, but the whole vineyard. Or shall we try to save it? The book of Isaiah, cheer up now by the way, the book of Isaiah eventually moves to a point where things are not so bleak. The answer to that question, shall we try to save the vineyard, becomes more clearly, yes. There is within Isaiah a deep wrestling with sin, with the way nations and people go wrong, and with God. A theme begins to emerge. Wrong has been done, yes. God has been betrayed, yes. People are individually and communally sinful, yes. But in Isaiah 55, which sums up the teaching of this part of Isaiah, there's a glimpse of something about God. I would summarize like this. Isaiah 55 says there is that about God which is bigger than the hurt, bigger than the betrayal, bigger than the sin. God says... My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And Isaiah 55 tells us something about the higher ways of God. They are to do with steadfast love, such as God showed to David, a sinner. That's verse 3. They are, say verse 7 following, to do with mercy. They are to do with pardoning sinners, with abundantly pardoning sinners. They are to do with saving the vineyard, saving the nation and her people. Yes, we will try to save this nation Israel, says God in this part of Isaiah. Our God is a God of mercy. For God's nation at that time, the signs of God's bigness, love, mercy, pardon, were seen in the politics of the day when those who had been taken into exile found they could return home, and they went home, rebuilt the nation, rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple, and one hope sought to live by God's laws. They returned to live with God in their God-given land. God had forgiven them, saved the tree, the vineyard, the nation. God shows mercy, pardon, forgiveness, and brings new life. The tree is not chopped down, but worked with. 
a saving God. Though Isaiah 55 is not all about God. It also gives a call to humankind. Verse 6 onwards. Seek the Lord, call upon him. Let the wicked forsake their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord. Turn again to God is the message. Same one as in Jesus. Repent. Turn again to God. Which is sometimes thought of as a one-off, once-in-a-lifetime, do-it-and-it's-done event. Repent. Give your life to Jesus. In which there's some truth. But just as sinning is not a one-off, but an ongoing part of our lives, repenting needs to be also. Which means an ongoing thinking about how we're living, whether we're getting it right before God, whether we're bearing the fruit God desires. Something we need to do individually and in our corporate life in church and nation. We need to keep repenting, turning again to what God requires, to justice, mercy, love, and all the other things God teaches us through Jesus are important. Healing, truth, the ways of God's kingdom. Seeking to order our lives by these things of God. That is what repenting means and repenting is something individuals and nations need to do to keep turning to God individuals and nations our nation is at a particular point If you don't know to what I refer, welcome to planet Earth. I assume you arrived this morning. I faced a real dilemma about today. (laughs) The Sunday before we were, are, due to leave the European Union. Mention it or not. I decided that in this of all pulpits, with its great traditions of speaking into public life, something so big could not be ignored. But Brexit is divisive, for many by now wearisome, and Christians legitimately come to different views on it. And of course, Brexit isn't the totality of our national life, and nor did it arise unrelated to other social, economic, and political factors. I'm not going to tell you what we should do next. That's my secret. I will step back a bit and try to draw some thoughts from our readings and reflections. Sin and repentance has been our theme. And part of what Jesus and Isaiah do is face the reality of sin. 
in the light of which perhaps we should examine our own lives of that of our nation and discern where we have failed to live by God's ways. Perhaps we should call out where sin has happened, is happening, as Isaiah and Jesus did. But there's something about Jesus and what he says in Luke 13 which suggests the spirit in which that is to be done is not one of, you are worse than us, but rather, we're all in it together and need to find ways forward. We need to find answers. Which brings us to the point that there's more to repentance than facing sin. Repentance also has to do with reaching out for something better, for what God requires. And for Christians, that must mean seeking the ways of a big God. A God made known as a God of justice, who cares for the poor, the vulnerable, and who calls us to do the same. A God made known in Jesus who heals, forgives, loves, who stands for truth, which sets us free, and who calls us to follow. Justice, love, healing, truth. These are the things God calls us to pursue as we shape our national life now. You can decide for yourselves whether such things have been part of our Brexit debates and whether God's people have stood up for them in those debates. More importantly, what matters now is how we make them part of our conversation and life going forward. We need justice for the poor. We need love of the neighbor. The word neighbor being understood in the gospel sense of the one who is the other, who is different. We need truth. These are the things which will save. Things we need for the shaping of our national life. And our faith might suggest we need to ask how or whether the options we now face will further these godly goals. Which one expresses love for the neighbor biblically understood? Which will bring most justice for the poor? A question which provides a frame for considering economic impacts, human rights, workers' rights, for example. In which options can be heard the voice of truth? Who is dealing with reality? These are perspectives our faith brings. And maybe there's a task to be done perhaps in the spirit of the Christian faith of this church, to look deeply into the specifics of the issues we face and to ask what does a spirit of Bloomsbury faith say into our nation at this time? It could be an opportunity. 
Finally, is there any gospel here? Any good news? For us? For our nation? Luke 13 begins with some Galileans who went to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice and were killed. Some years later, another group went from Galilee to Jerusalem. Questions were asked, such as, what is truth? And something terrible was done. A vine bearing good fruit was cut down. A sacrifice was made. And in that sacrifice, human sin met the higher ways of God. Human mess. And the higher ways of God met on a tree on Golgotha. It was a crisis. But it wasn't the end. Life came. And that faith says that is how it is. Hard as it may be to see ways forward at times, difficult as things may be, confusing, frightening even, the sun rises. Life triumphs. Love wins through. Justice wins out. Truth is declared. There is a God working somewhere in this vineyard. Not cutting it down. But working with us. Leading us. Leading the nation and nations. Leading the whole created order to new life in a kingdom of mercy, justice, and love where God's truth is lived. Repent and serve this God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe upon our troubled world. Breathe on places where people mourn. Breathe on Christchurch, on the Muslim community there and here. on those whose lives have been torn apart by cyclone in Zimbabwe and Mozambique, and on those who are seeking to reach and support survivors. Come Holy Spirit and breathe upon our own nation, upon our government, parliament, civil servants, upon all who bear responsibility for the future. Grant wisdom, 
and the searching for the things you have taught us are good. A moment's quiet to pray for our country. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe upon your church. May we seek the fruits you wish to bestow. May we witness to your ways. May we be a channel for your moving amongst the peoples of this world. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe upon particular people who we name before you in quietness. Those who are ill, worried, bearing diverse burdens. Come, Holy Spirit, inflame the embers of our love, whisper our names, and scatter your gifts of grace. Awaken us to dream again. Fill us with prophetic enthusiasm for a new tomorrow. Sprinkle the water of life on the seedlings of your new creation. So may your kingdom of justice, mercy, and love be born amongst us. In the name of Christ. Amen. <laughs>